Welcome to the Restaurant Relevance Podcast, where the goal is to glean operational tactics for restaurants from data-driven research and possibly nerding out along the way. I'm Nathan Jarvis, the host and creator. Welcome to those of you that are listening and watching. In today's episode, we're featuring research published in the International Journal of Contemporary Hospitality Management entitled Secretless Pastry Chefs on Instagram, the Disclosure of Culinary Secrets in Social Media. I'm super excited to have our guests on the podcast today, really because of a selfish reason. Having worked in pastry many, many, many years ago in the back of the house, uh, I really got excited as I was reading the paper um, and really got interested in uh, reading about what these pastry chefs are doing and how they're using Instagram. So I really hope that uh, those of you that are watching and listening get excited as well. So let's jump right in. We're fortunate to have the lead author of the paper on the podcast today. Mr. Kaishan Lee is a former pastry commis, cook, and barista. He's currently a PhD candidate in business administration at Oklahoma State University. With 22 publications, and can I just say 22 publications for a PhD student is very impressive. Uh, Mr. Lee specializes in culinary and food service research with a focus in aesthetic theories, creativity, and qualitative inquiries. His main research stream focuses on a four-year from 2017 to present narrative project exploring the creative lives and culinary practices of some of Asia's most outstanding pastry chefs, including the 2019 World Pastry Champions. As a teacher, Kaishan teaches beverage management, culinary skills, pastry, showpieces, and specialty coffee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Jarvis. It's uh, it's a very, very it's a very humbling bio that you read over there. But thank you, thank you, and I'm just happy to be here. And please just call me Sean. Sean, awesome. Um, thank you for being here. It's it's an honor to have you on. Uh, all right, so I want to start at a 30,000-foot viewpoint. Uh, in two sentences, could you explain what your study was about and then what you found? All right. Um, so this particular study um, came about studying how a the traditional way culinary knowledge is passed down from one generation of chefs to another. Uh, and traditionally, it's very tight-fisted. You know, it's tight-fistedly passed down. It's withhold from one another. Um, but in this, in today's digital era, we are starting to see that this tyranny of tight-fistedness is, dis is disappearing, where chefs are actually adopting a more transparent and open philosophy to actually deliver and, and transmit their knowledge to the next generation. So this study basically studies what is going on in this phenomenon and how it is transmitted throughout the culinary community. Awesome. That's very interesting. So as I was reading your CV, you've done some really interesting projects uh, over the years. You're working on your PhD right now, uh, but you did your master's at OSU um, and uh, you're originally from Malaysia, uh, if I remember correctly, um, working back of the house. So you have all that industry experience. So how did you come to work on these projects and this one in particular? Like what was the origin story of this research? Um. The origin story for this paper, I guess, you know, it stems back to the birth of the, the big project that I was going forward with. Uh, in my master's degree, you know, we had to do a thesis, being a master's student. And I wanted to bring something that was unique to me to the, to the academic world. 
And yeah. I was always inspired by these groups of chefs who, being from Malaysia with almost little history, little historical history of excellence in pastry, uh, never mind culinary, um, how they excel in the global domain, that just mm -hmm. intrigued me. And proud enough, these individuals have some close ties with me. Uh, some of them I proudly call my friends today. And um, I was just very intrigued with how they create the ideas. I, it's almost as if they are, they are creating on steroids. You know, it's like creativity on steroids. Yeah. They are thinking on a whole different dimensional pain in terms of design, flavor profiles. And the coolest thing was they were sharing. They were openly disseminating all their knowledge everywhere. So I approached, so I, I knew that I wanted to talk to these chefs and tell their stories. And through that process of continuous interviews since 2017, um, with the help of my two co-advisors, Dr. Lee Miao and Dr. Danny Bloom, um, working alongside them, I start to see different threads of ideas that started to come out, different themes that started to come out. And one right. of them was the sharing practices. And so that was kind of like uh, a brief abstract of how the idea came about. But I just honed in on that sharing practice and why are they sharing? And they're not sharing simple stuff. They're sharing the whole process of how they're creating, even the recipes online. So that just caught my eye. And I just started from there, started the investigation. Interesting. Uh, and so tell me a little bit about the pastry chefs in, in this study. I know this came out of a prior study, but um, what, what about these pastry chefs? Why'd you select them? Uh, and you just reached out to them and said, hey, can I interview you? And they were just willing to. I'm kind of curious about how that went. So it started off with a friend and that uh, he is the, okay. I believe he's the captain of the Malaysian pastry team. His name is Chef Weilun. Um, arguably the most prolific pastry chef today um, uh, on, in, on the planet. Like he's, he's reached the pinnacle of the pastry world right now, globally. And so I just approached him um, and started to understand his world. And he's the main gatekeeper. He's the main gatekeeper who could snowball to the other pastry chefs. So I start talking to his senseis, uh, his masters, his apprentices, uh, you know, the next generation, and and I start stalking his Instagram profile, recording things <laughs> with consent and all that, um, and I start writing about him. And it's just very cool to see how chefs, especially for the ones um, from a land that I come from, Malaysia, uh, not many of them are able to articulate their lives. They are doers, they are operators, they are creators, but through food and their actions. When you put them on a podium and ask them to speak, not many of them are able to talk um, in the same way and bring out the poetics of what they do. So in many ways, just by some preliminary drafts that I've written of them and just trying to explain um, what I do and how I appreciate their work through my writing, they, they actually like, they, they they never thought that they could be represented in that in that sense. So it started with that, and the snowball happened. So, hey, this guy can write, and if you want to know more about yourself through the interviews that he's going to conduct, why don't you give him a holler and then see where it can go? And that just streamlined into my snowball of extraordinary pastry chefs. That's um, amazing. So to give you a background, oh sorry, but to give you a background of who these chefs are, they four of them, uh, no three of them, my mistake, three of them are uh, currently the World Pastry Champions uh, back in 2019, uh, the most recent World Cup. 
So, and like I said, they are, they are creators on steroids. They think on a whole different dimension of pain. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and I mean, that, that's just amazing to think about, uh, being able to talk, uh, to chefs at that level and, um, to be able to try to understand them more, understand their process. I've always had a real interest in where creative creativity comes from. Being academic, obviously, I write, and so I've I've definitely looked at creativity with regards to writers, but as chefs as well. Um, so, to we'll talk about your your design here in a second, um, but I want to skip to uh, to kind of get real nerdy and philosophical. And uh, you talk about in your paper, you say your interpretation uh, from a philosophical standpoint is based on constructivism and interpretism, um, which honestly is like, I love the fact that you just make it explicit how you're approaching things from a philosophical standpoint. So um, not to you know spend 10 minutes on it, but can you talk a little bit about why you chose that approach um, philosophically to why uh, how you're doing these these interviews well it's funny that you mentioned that i don't think someone chooses a, a philosophy is something that you bring to a study um now i, I was trained empirically uh, i publish works that uh that are mainly post-positivist in design uh, meaning to say a very empirical through data collection through statistical analysis, we strive for reliability and validity. But there's something that when you approach a topic like creativity and how people perceive the world and how these creators perceive the world, you cannot bring that paradigm into investigating the phenomenon. So when I was looking at these chefs, um, there was something very intrinsic in me as a chef as well, or as a culinarian myself. I, I try to um, not be bounded by... Uh, by traditional means, you know. So when I talk about the constructionist standpoint, the interpretivist standpoint, um, uh, I really realized that I have to approach this in their native language, you know, we, where we are looking at a phenomenon relative to these participants. At the same time, understanding that all the possible truths in the world are multiple, where different people will have different interpretations of the same phenomenon. Now, this right. doesn't mean that this particular paradigm is better than the other. It just makes more sense to approach this uh, topic from that paradynamic stance. And so, yeah, that I hope I didn't spend too much on it, but that's basically the essence of it. Yeah, no, uh, that's awesome. Um, and so that's kind of your philosophy coming in on how you interpret uh, what you found in their posts and, and in the interviews. Um, and you use a mixed method design, right? That there's there's a qualitative piece and there's a little bit of quant, uh, quantitative piece in there, um, looking at posts and number of likes. So can you briefly talk about well, what was your approach? How did you get this information uh, to for your study? Okay, so the design of the study is uh, his, uh, Charlene Hissabible. She mentioned that a this is called a nested mixed method design. Mm -hmm. So basically what we do, it's a large qualitative project, okay? But we specifically nest a quantitative portion into that large project. By nesting it, we still, um, we still follow the philosophical commitments of the bigger qualitative study, but we draw on that data to help make meaning as well. So, in essence, this study is qualitatively driven, a big qualitative project, 
And while we nest a small quantitative portion where we ran regression analysis, uh, just to give us, you know, more of a understanding of the phenomenon. Uh, that's that's the two cents of it. Okay. And so you um, you analyzed uh, with their permission their Instagram posts because this is all about the way they disclose information on Instagram, and you did some coding. Uh, at one point, then you you go back and you talk to the chefs, uh, kind of to get a sense of well, are what you what you were finding in their Instagram posts is that what they really meant? So you kind of almost aligned uh, what you were finding back with them to make sure you were on the right track, um, and then you did some quantitative analysis of number of likes uh, and comments on their That's posts, right. etc. Okay, right. awesome. So. Uh, and and so what is like top level what did what did you find um about their use of these ins of instagram well first is just um well it was a very very long process and, and we had <laughs> we had help from from a it was a very very long process uh we we basically i looked at so the nine chefs that i basically interviewed for a long period of time for my large project um, I start to notice that specifically five of them were engaged in this sharing process where they are openly disclosing their information throughout. And so, but the other four were not so much. Now, it doesn't mean that they, they are not sharers. It's just, they're not just tech savvy. Some of them are just not tech savvy. Some of them, you know, shun social media away from their lives for, for the evil that it, that it entails. Um, right. But these five in specific were sharing on a, on a different scale, I was like, these are your intellectual properties and why are you sharing to the rest of the world free of charge on Instagram? Right. And so I started to think about it a little bit more and started to stock their profiles. I just started scrolling through their profiles and, and look at all the intricacies of what they're sharing. And from there, uh, we, uh, I sat down with a, a colleague, uh, her name was Rachel. Um, she was acknowledged in the paper for, for doing that. We kind of came together and start to see the, the specific themes that were emerging while we were just scrolling. And this is just to get a sense of the data and a sense of their profiles. Right. Um, and, then we, and then we went into the manual, <laughs> the manual collection process for saving each link into an Excel sheet uh, we wish we could set up a code on R uh, just to collect data, but you know Instagram has their their algorithm and their, their privacy settings that does okay. not allow us to do that. So the only way to do it was manually, and it was a painstaking process. Wow. So we we brought we 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 basically collected down up to I think two thousand four hundred ish a post, so about twenty four hundred right. posts, and uh, started using our coding lens to see okay what do we see mm -hmm. and we start to see that these chefs were not some of them were just very perfunctory their post meaning to say they're just creating a presence they said hey you know i'm a public figure and these chefs are public figures in the culinary domain and so they might share certain things to just have a presence uh but then slowly you start to see they very strategically start to post very very uh, intellectual pieces, things that discusses their philosophical creativity, and things that discusses how they create their recipes and their designs. Um, so that spark um, that emerged in our in our study, basically. So through that, we started coding, 
and then we talk to the chefs we conducted interviews with them uh, just to get some feedback on hey is this right is this not right uh, we, we let them have a say in things uh, and then after that we also recorded down their likes and so right. we were able to trace whether which post generated more likes or has the tendency to generate more likes so so yeah it was a painstaking process just to um extract one data point at a time and then the wow. writing came about so yeah yeah and all the analysis all right well we'll definitely get uh here in a few minutes to the the, the answer to the question of well uh, what's the correlation between likes and the type of posts? But uh, before before we get there, uh, all of this you frame uh, using two theories, one theory of creativity uh, and another theory, uh, which I had not heard of before, but now I'm fascinated with, uh, and that is uh, a conceptualization of open source cooking. Um, so can you, uh, you know, summarize for us these two theories, like why did you frame your research through the lens of these two? Well, okay. So first of all, we have to, I did a, a creativity theory to make sure that I have somewhat of a framework that I don't dive into the project, you know, blind, right? Right. We're, we're always informed somehow. Um, uh, so I, I went to Mihai, Shiksit Mihai, uh, Many people do not know how to pronounce his name, and perhaps I've even butchered it. But Mihai Shiksit Mihai is a systems view of creativity. Um, and he basically posits that creativity does not happen or does not originate from the creator. No, it doesn't. I mean, we all think that, oh, ideas came out of the blue. Right. We have the epiphany. He posits that it, it's never that way. It actually comes from a symbolic domain that the person is in. So the domain is the symbolic environment rich with literature rich with symbols or rich with past creators contributions and the creator is equipped with this symbolic domain to come up with his epiphanies he sees new patterns all right um okay. so we're so talking that like, like the um, pastry or culinary world is the domain and the pastry chef is the creator the person Exactly, exactly. I, I, I couldn't put it any better. So the, the culinary domain, yeah, we have the, the background of technical skills and things like that. And the pastry chef is building off these technical skills and basis of uh, culinary fundamentals. We can put it right. that way. Um, the second theory is, is, I wouldn't call it a theory. I'll call it more of a conceptualization. It, it came from Chad Bockenhagen in a journal. The journal is called a Poetics. And he was studying modernist cuisine chefs and how they were, you know, doing the same thing like I was studying. They were basically, uh, he was basically trying to understand why chefs are disclosing um, the intellectual properties online, not okay. specifically in social media, but on public forums. He right. was looking at how like Heston Blumenthal and things like that were sharing. And he calls this open source cooking. And the title of the article caught my eye the moment I look at it. it. He called it the death of the secret recipe. And I was like, wow, this is, this is something I need to read. And when the more I read into it, I start to see my pastry chef's practices reflect his words and his concepts. And so, and then I just started to think, how does this open source cooking conceptualization wheel together with Mihai Shiksit Mihai's famed um, systems view, and it right. breaks 
all the systems apart. And so using this lens is very open-ended. At the same time, gives me enough of a theoretical framework to analyze the phenomenon. So, yeah. Awesome. So I know in reading through your paper and reading about this you know, open source cooking, the conceptualization of it, uh, you know, there, you discuss the idea that uh, this is very different than having secret recipes, quote unquote, that protects your intellectual property. Um, and I, I remember thinking, and maybe you even allude to it, and forgive me if you did, then clearly I'm thinking your thoughts. Um, but thinking like open source cooking in a way, you know, putting your recipes, your ideas on an Instagram or on a blog, um, in, in one way almost secures your intellectual property more than keeping it hidden, right? Because you've established to the world that you're working on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? I mean, am I understanding that right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a way of patenting uh, that you are the one who created this. You know, um, so I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Um, in the pastry world, we, we, we always try, there was a particular design, a chocolate design, where a chef would sprinkle just a little bit of cocoa powder on an acetate sheet and then drizzle it with some, with some colored cocoa butter and then start to just pave it with a, with a spatula. And we let that, and start to pave some tempered chocolate with a spatula. Um, and we start to create this rendered marble effect on the acetate sheet, a marble effect. Now yeah. people, that, that people start to, it's a very replicable skill set. It's a very replicable technique. And people just start to you know, adopt it and adopt it. But yeah. people will always remember where it came from. It was the chef that shared that technical skills uh, specifically. Um, there was another one with, which was a, uh, given another example, uh, Frank Hasnut, a, a very, very prominent pastry chef. He was using a turntable, a turntable to pipe his uh, tarts and just to give it the spiral effect. And he was celebrated for it. And all he, there was no patenting involved. There was no legality issues involved. There was, there was no paperwork involved. All he did, was he posted it on social media and the right culinarians, the ones with ethical values and the ones with the, and the ones who are at the elite rank and statuses will always remember that this technique was created by this particular chef. Right. And no matter how far it, it decimated and circulates in the, in the culinary world, we always remember who was the creator. Right. And so, yeah, you, you read my thoughts exactly. It's a way of patenting and uh, gaining a sense of copyright in a very loose sense, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Interesting. All right. So through your study, analyzing all these posts, um, to that, to, to what you're just saying, right, you find a theme or a general topic of creative ethics, which I definitely want to talk about because I find that interesting. Um, and there's some aspects of the disclosure of culinary secrets and you break that down into three groupings. Um, and then you talk about like a perfunctory, uh, like just posting something to have a presence on social media. Um, I think I hit those three main categories and I know disclosure of culinary secrets has like three categories underneath that you found. So can you talk about kind of these main categories of what you found and then maybe we can dive deeply into a couple of them? For sure. So when we talk about 
um, what I found through the entire analytical process qualitatively was a uh, number one, they start to have a, being a social media, I would like to use the word very, very loosely influencer in the culinary community. <laughs> um, they, yeah, I need to use that term very lightly or they will come yeah, back yeah. and get me. Um, they are public figures in the domain. They need to, add, they need to continue to establish themselves as a public figure on uh, Instagram. So they okay. would share certain posts that are more of a shrug off, more perfunctory, just to tell people, hey, I'm still here. Uh, I'm still creating. These are some throwbacks that I did like six months ago. Oh, it's a throwback from a year ago. I love this pastry. And so, so they were posting things like that just to establish a presence and ensure that they have a continual presence, basically. Right. The second category was about creative ethics. Now, that was something that was very interesting uh, in a sense that they always reference and cite where their ideas come from. That's the coolest thing. They, they recognize that they are not creating out of the blue, but they right. cite where their inspirations come from. And that was just amazing. And that was like, what? It's almost like a scholarly process, how we cite people and make sure we don't steal other people's ideas. They were doing the same thing, but through food. Uh, so, so that's like the second thing that, I, that really caught my eye. And the third one is what I like to call the holy grail of knowledge sharing. It's the full secrets disclosure. Right. Um, they start to they start to disclose the flavors uh, that were guiding their creative their creative process. Okay, and we sometimes we take this for granted. Uh, you know, when you buy a recipe book, we are not really looking for how you made the dish. For a culinarian like you and me, we are not looking at right. how you make the dish. We're actually looking at what is combined. Why are you adding this? In? into this what what does this do to the other one we're looking at yeah. flavor pairings and flavor co co complexities that triggers more thoughts we're not going to replicate the whole recipe from scratch from you we are just going to getting ideas so they were disclosing that aspect of flavor uh to everyone um so that was one part of the secret disclosure the second one is the process now instagram i think since uh since the the late decade they they allow videos to be embedded into their posts yeah. so these chefs were actually sharing the process of how they were how they were made right and it comes with a lot of preliminary understandings as a chef you, when you look at it um you start to see how they roll their pastry what 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 piping nozzle did they use what specific things what specific tools did they use what kind of um you know what, how was this design rendered Right. That that was all showcased throughout the process through video form. And the last one really, really shocked me was recipe disclosure. They would post the full recipe on Instagram or wow. implicitly or explicitly. Some people just screenshot it off their Word document and post it as a, as a secondary image in their album post. Some wow. link their recipes to a website. And it was like, why are you doing this? Again, yeah. the idea just came to me. Why are you doing this? And there are actually right. safety measures uh, that they take to make sure that, you know, it doesn't dilute from what they intend. They, they may be sharing, but they also know that not many people can replicate them. Yeah. And, and so it was, it, was, it was very cool in that sense. So that was the three categories. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I totally see that because even if having worked back of the house, right? I mean, even if um, 
someone posts all the pictures, videos of the technique, uh, and the ingredients and the amounts, all of it, um, you know, there's only a certain number of people that can actually pull that off, have the skills to do it. Um, and they're probably also well known enough that if they were to then go post that somewhere and act like it's their own, they're going to be called out for it, right? Which I guess gets into this ethics side of things. Right. So I'm talking right. more about that because I, I remember as a cook, um, there being these conversations about, well, you, you always learn from your mentors, right? And you brought recipes with them. So, you know, what's allowed to use and how do you credit them? So uh, I find that ethics portion really interesting. You know, the cool thing about this, uh, Dr. Jarvis, is, you know, it's not only that they need the skills to replicate it, they also need the infrastructure to replicate it. While my chefs, they, they mentioned in, in, a, in a quotation in, 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 a, in an interview, you need my toys to make my toys. I'm not afraid of letting them, letting them have the recipe. They don't, they don't have the toys that I have to make them. And it's yeah. very true. They invest in technology that only they have, which is very fascinating. Um, back to your question about that, the ethical side of things. Um, you're, you're right. Chefs are very mobile creatures. You can only learn so much from one organization, one establishment, and sometimes it's time to go to learn new things from a new establishment. And we bring right. these qualities, these experiences, these intellectual properties from the first establishment to the next. And how do you ensure that? Uh, and, and so how, how do you ethically share this knowledge now so through this particular study when i look at it they would number one they would through instagram they would tag the original uh okay. creator right. i think one of my one of my cases or one of my exemplar posts that i shared on 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 the in the paper specifically was chef ching Keng limbs now he's just a fascinating creator he takes flavors you know i think he sees the world flavorfully he just looks at things in in flavors. I know like right. David Bowie sees the world in, in, in colors and music notes. I think he sees the world in like flavors. Um, and he takes flavor to an extreme, extreme, uh, extreme heights. But he always makes sure that if he's building off something, he cites them. So he create he replicated a recipe called the Ispahan Makarot. Uh, mm -hmm. by Pierre Hermé, uh, one of the French revolutionists in the pastry world, yeah. known specifically uh, in the 21st century for macarons, right? Right. And now uh, the Spahan had lychees, has rose, has a, ha has a good mix of uh, uh, raspberries into it. It's just a very floral flavor aspect to it. Now, he notices, Ching Keng notices that this is not his original recipe. And if he claims it for his own and calls it something else, you know, he's going to be called out. Yeah. So when he posted something like that on Instagram, you know, he took such a beautiful picture. Immediately, he posted right at the bottom. This is called the Ispahan. It entails of raspberries. It entails of a macaron shell. It entails um, lychees and rose flavored. At the very bottom, he tagged the original recipe is from Pierre Hermé. And in that way, he portrays some form of epistemic humility, telling people right. that this is based off another person's work and that he is not the original creator, but he's just a replicate. There's nothing wrong with that, right? right? And, and I think it goes back to, uh, if I can give a, a very layman example, you know yeah, how please. people can be very protective 
very protective of their family recipes. And if somebody shares with you my family, I don't know, green pea casserole, and you just share it off to your neighbors, I mean, if, if, the, if the initial person were to find out, she yeah. was not going to be pleased whatsoever. <laughs> so it carries on. It's, 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 it's a, a sense of morality. And I call it, right. I, I term it creative ethics, but it's, it's really down to the morality of the creators, uh, recognizing that you know, creativity doesn't happen out of the blue. It is always based off a domain. So, yeah. Well, and, and that doesn't take away from the value of of the creation right that that secondary creation um i mean we do this in academia all the time right we cite other people to build on what we're what we're working on uh in fact probably if you analyze most of our papers over half uh, of the paper is all referencing someone else and talking about what they did and, and what we did so um but it, it's so neat to see that that's being actively propagated you know, and, and talked about uh, that you're talking about it and studying it. So uh, interesting. Okay. So you also talk about this disclosure of culinary secrets, um, particularly flavor disclosure. And I want to ask you about this because I find the, the, the combinations, you know, talking about the flavors that are in a dish are greatly important. But as I was reading your paper, I also thought about, you know, in the past, let's say 20 years, um, with the growth, the growth of whether you call it modernist cuisine or whether you call it molecular gastronomy or whatever, you know, however you want to describe uh, that movement. We have chefs. The one that comes to mind um, is Chef Ackett's at Alinea um, that write whole menus that are basically just lists of flavors, right? Um, I had the honor right, of dining right. at Alinea once uh, and got the menu, right? And it's, it's a list of flavors in each dish. Um, and so there's almost a paradigm in one sense of chefs disclosing these flavor profiles. But can you talk a little bit more about this flavor disclosure and what you found? Of course, of course. Uh, and wow, like like when when you brought uh, Chef Grant Ackerts to, to, to the table to our conversation, it's, it's, it's very true. It's very true. Um, I define, I think we must first define what flavor is to a chef. A lot of people think, uh, especially in today's world, we think about a chef as, you know, the glamour, um, the people on the television, or, or in another, another paradigm would be the hard worker, the labor, the doer, the person who can never rest on their laurels and is always doing something, the, the craftsman, right. right? But at, at, at their very core, at their very core, a true culinarian, I use the word culinarian to, to describe a serious pupil of culinary arts, one that's dedicated right. to the arts and to push the boundaries of the culinary domain. Um, a chef's goal is to discover flavors, reinterpreting uh, old ones or finding new pairings that we never thought about. And it's very true. When we talk about Eckert's, um, Chef Eckert and his, um, his manual design, just a list of flavors. Many chefs do that too. And to these chefs, this particular group of chefs that I interviewed, flavor is the epitome of why they create, nothing else. Mm. They are looking for new ways to pair things because pastry specifically, people think about it as butter and sugar deep fried in flour. You know what I mean? It's just, everything's just sweet sensations and it's just bad for you, your dentist hates yeah. you. But true enough, there's a new movement of pastry. 
uh, pastries can be extremely flavorful too. It's just that oh, we are yeah. always clouded by the need of more fat, more whipped cream, and more sugar. That's not true for these chefs. They are trying to bring in pastry um, almost like a hot cuisine sense and showcase that pastry is actually a celebration of flavor. Right. So flavor in my paper and some of the previous works that uh, I work with my collaborators, we kind of collectively uh, define it as a chef's ultimate weapon. The reason why they create, the rightful soul of the chef rests in the discovery of flavor. And that's why they were disclosing those flavor profiles. Um, and just to give people a new sense of thinking about the, the, uh, the flavor equation, to, to use the flavor Bible's words the, the, the right. by, by Karen Page, um, to, it's a way of rethinking what things can pair well and what things do not. Um, and they are just showcasing the different combinations. Flavor um, is also what many, many young chefs or young culinarians or young culinary students do not look at. They are too consumed by the acquisition of skills and recipes. That's not why you become a culinarian. I think it's to, it's to discover new gustatory sensations uh, through the palate. And, and that, that was why flavor disclosure became such a prominent theme in the paper. We saw that a, every time they post something, they would list down the components of it um, so that other people can build off on. Right. You know? Fascinating. Uh, well, and, and to your point about, you know, young culinarians, right, and their focus on techniques, uh, a lot of it is, you know, you have to, at least my opinion, is you have to know the basics to be able to create. Um, oh, of course. I, I took piano lessons as a child, did not appreciate them at the time, um, but was, you know, always told that before you can go compose, right, or do whatever you want to, you first have to learn the scales, right? You have to learn the rules before exactly. you know how to break them. And I think the same thing applies uh, to the culinary field, right? You have to know the techniques. Um, you have to know the standard flavor combinations, which the only way to know that is through experience, right? Tasting things. Uh, and then once you've done that, then you can go from there uh, and you can build new flavor combinations or perfect the old ones. Uh, at least that's that's my thought process. Oh, that's I to totally agree. We we always uh, gathering the technicalities is very very important for a young culinarian, uh, and we always think that flavors are are true. You know, get hitting the streets and tasting more things, right? Um, so these chefs are trying to like streamline. Uh, this disclosure that making you think about the equations that go in their mind yeah um and a lot of people a lot of people like even like me uh we take it for granted that hey i didn't know that this and this paired well who knew uh who knew that you know vanilla paired well with salted butter and it's just we never thought about it in that sense before so yeah yeah awesome okay so you did all this qualitative work and all these really interesting themes came out. I think we could talk about this for hours, but uh, in, the, in the interest of not making this a three hour long conversation, um, you also analyze these posts, right? And in your paper, you talk about trying to analyze them for quote unquote social value, right? Whether they have mm -hmm. value to society. Um, how did you do that? And what did you find on the quantitative piece? Okay, so after we categorize um, all the types of posts that were posted, and we ran, we also collected down the number of likes each post gathered. 
And we right. basically ran a, some hierarchical regression analysis. Um, Dr. Tao, my co-author, Dr. Willie Tao, uh, championed that area. I am absolutely uh, not statistically uh, inclined one bit. I know enough just to get me in trouble. Right. right. So I had to consult him and, and he championed that part of the nested design. So I believe, and uh, I think the paper, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we had several control variables. We controlled the number of followers because you know each profile had different number of followers. We controlled the number of posts that they have and we controlled the number of followings that they followed. Right. Um, and then we, we set all these postage, all these uh, themes as independent variables and we tested them um, hierarchically in a regression model to see whether they generate, they have a correlation to the number of likes received. So the number of likes serve as an indication whether these posts were socially valued in the Instagram domain that they operate in. And we found that um, two specific postings, two specific themes okay. of postings has a higher propensity to generate more likes. And that would be uh, the, the process review and the recipe review. People go gaga when somebody shows them how to do something and the, the likes just chimes in. Um, what we found very interesting, however, al although none of them was statistically significant, the flavor, the creative ethics, and the, um, the creative presence were not, significantly, uh, were not statistically significant, we found that flavor actually had a negative a negative correlation to their number of likes where they actually really? generate some lesser likes but it's not statistically significant at all it's not statistically so it's a very way but but it is shown that, that they have a propensity to generate lesser likes now we, when we try to rationalize this and we we, we we noticed that number one on instagram not only other culinarians follow them the general public follows them now right. they do not have the deciphering ability that a culinarian, a culinarian might have and number two is that okay Again, you need a trained lens to actually appreciate flavor. Not everybody sets out to look for, oh, I want to look for flavor profiles. No, they scroll right. through Instagram for the nice pictures and the, and the techniques that they can learn. Yeah. So that may have contributed to it. But the two biggest things that were more socially valued was when they disclosed the process of how it's done through a video form right. and through the recipes that they share. Yeah. So to, to make it uh, very applied, if I were, let's say I'm a PR person for a restaurant or for a chef, and part of our strategy is to increase the presence that my chef has on Instagram and therefore you know increase the, the social value that our chef and our restaurant has, I should definitely work with our chef to post things on Instagram that are more process and recipe related based on your findings that that would more likely get us more likes uh, than some of these other things. Exactly. I think, I, think, I think that's a very good implication that we can take out from this, from this particular study that we conducted. I mean, we can think about... Um, um, when Gordon Ramsay posted certain things, we actually want to see him cook. We actually want to see him do something apart from the barking and, and the screaming. We actually want to see him do those kind of things and that, can gen that actually generates more social value sometimes. Um, there's another chef that I keep on thinking about. The, do you know the pastry chef at UN uh, near who just established a pastry school in Las Vegas, Chef Amari Gushon? 
He completely familiar. He is I I he's a social media beast and he his post is just ongoingly disclosing processes and disclosing um the how to to his designs his chocolate designs and his sugar designs and right. those are very socially valued so in a way when you say that uh, is it those are actually generating millions and millions of likes uh on wow. Instagram creating a big presence for him so if you think about from a restauranteur's perspective or, or or an operator's perspective how can we get people to um create more of a how can we create more of a presence of our establishment definitely right. show, showing the the transparency that goes behind the dish um showing that things are made from scratch showing the process and and all the hard work that one that a culinary team puts together for a final dish um it actually creates a better presence and not only that it creates transparency for the public domain interesting all right so uh normally what i ask my guests uh towards the end is okay so based on your research what would you do if you owned a restaurant or operate a restaurant um and i know you have previews of what i'm going to ask you here because i sent you these questions but i feel like there's actually three questions that i need to ask you here so first one would be so what would you do as a cook or a chef uh to use your research um with regards to sharing on social and what's the value in doing so? I think we just alluded to it, but like, what would you do if you wanted uh, to follow these techniques? Um, you know, if if one were to read this particular paper, I mean, if if one were to go through the process of painfully reading through an academic paper, there are actually values that you can pick up from this, especially if you are a culinarian. Um, and I use the word cook, chef students they all encompass together into one particular term that I call a culinary a serious pupil to culinary arts and i would say from this paper i hope that it equips you with a way of seeing um the minutia of life the minutia of culinary of the culinary world especially on social media we are all consumed on social media but sometimes we have to look for meaning through social media and sometimes when these chefs post something there are certain things that they are implicitly or explicitly disclosing and also implicitly and so instead of just pushing the like button and scrolling down to the next post why don't we take a slow ontology to processing that and understand hey so i didn't know that he paired duck breasts with beet puree what does that combination tell you know and and what is this chef trying to send as a message to the culinary domain the elite chefs have achieved a particular status where sometimes most of them uh, i can't speak for all of them but they are in a way trying to give back and pay it forward to the next generation that's the yeah. only way the culinary community sustains and so by reading through this paper you hopefully they see flavor profiles differently they process the the disclosure of different different facets differently and most importantly please have creative ethics uh don't just steal and claim for your own nothing nothing is yours uh originally it always stems back to a body of existing works so i think that's that's a very long uh winding explanation to how one can equip it uh can learn from my study basically or awesome. dr tao and i study yeah so i mean so 
to kind of recap, and honestly, you kind of answered all of my questions all at the same time, which is great, right? Like, you know, if you're, as we talked about, if you're a chef and you want to disclose things currently, you know, process and recipes tend to get the most traction. Um, but if you're a cook, uh, a culinarian, to use your term, a student, uh, or, you know, and you're trying to learn, you're saying you need to slow down and pay more attention to what people are posting um, so that you can learn from them. Uh, and then to extend it a little bit, I was thinking about this this morning as I was rereading your paper is as a culinary teacher, right? Because I'm an educator. I know you're an educator and there are lots of educators out there hopefully listening, right? And I'm going to extrapolate here and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think going from what you're saying as, as educators, we have to show students some of these things and help them connect the dots, like help them extrapolate from what they're seeing on Instagram and saying, well, here's what, uh, you know, chef so-and-so is missing. This is what they didn't post in the recipe, right? Uh, or this is the setup that they didn't talk about they have and how do you uh, figure that out and then obviously the creative ethics conversation is super important in, in education as well is that is that a fair um assessment as educators absolutely. How we should apply this absolutely i think that's a huge transferable quality from this particular study and i think we uh we also had a paragraph dedicated specifically for culinary educators that hopefully it sparked some ideas to how one can approach social media as a reputable and rich medium for teaching and learning. But also one thing that I could add to that specifically Please. is because there is, because of Instagram, there's a churn of fast knowledge. Not everything posted out there is valuable knowledge. There are some absolutely valueless yeah. facts. Not to call, not to call out certain, certain a medium or whatsoever, but there are some things that fall in what I do not consider as culinary arts but in the more layman's term food porn and you know things like right. that that is not really um not really a culinarian's spirit right you know what i mean right. so not only to identify what is valuable but also what's not <laughs> and awesome. that's also one thing we have to bear in mind yeah no i'm glad you you pointed that out um I think that's super important. I mean, I do that uh, to create an analogy. I do that when I'm teaching students how to write a paper, right? Like, let's go to Google. Let me show you how to find academic literature and let me show you how to identify the stuff that's not academic literature, right? You know, Wikipedia does not count as an academic source. Um, it, you know, I, I, unless of course you're studying Wikipedia, but um, awesome. All right, so uh, you talk about in your paper uh, at the end, um, like what this gives uh, the culinary world. And um, then you talk a little bit about like what you would want to know next. So can you, are you gonna expand on this study, do something else? And like, what's next to know in, in this realm of research? So Dr. Tao and I are actually working on a, on a new piece. It's actually near completion. The summertime is a perfect time to write. It's near completion. Yeah. We isolate and we really want to expand on the ethical side of things and the cultural cool. social responsibility that this open source cooking um, phenomenon in, uh, instigated. So uh, just I can give you just a little preview. Um, yeah. Because I study the Malaysian pastry chefs, 
Now, they come from a background and a backdrop with very little historical excellence in the world of Patissier. Now, however, they have achieved the absolute pinnacle of creative excellence, right. being the champion in 2019. And it came with a lot of social responsibility and cultural responsibility, not only to the domain of pastry, but also to their nation, but and also to their heritage as a Malaysian. And okay. That came with so much hidden duties and hidden values that he has to portray. So using um, this similar theoretical lens and our final, the final model that we created called the systems view of uh, culinary knowledge sharing, uh, I hone in on the team captain, Chef Wei Luntan, uh, very, very good friend. And I start to see how he is equipping himself with this, with this, um, pastry ambassadorship, global pastry chef ambassadorship that he just acquired as the world champion and how he is uh, disseminating knowledge about Malaysian pastry ethically to the next generation of chefs. So that was one thing that uh, Dr. Tao and I are kind of conceptualizing using a lot of past interview transcripts. And alongside, we are also looking at his recent creations. He's showcasing Malaysian native ingredients through cool. the French patissier twist. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah, just, just seeing what those, and what that entails. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to wait for your upcoming paper on that and, uh, maybe have you back on to talk about that as well. Um, really, really fascinating. Anything else you want to add? Um, I think we covered all the, uh, all the borders. I just want to say I have major respects for what you do, uh, Nathan, I think it, it, I think this is a, a podcast that I will definitely tune into uh, on a weekly basis, depending on when the episodes are released. Um, I think food researchers or restaurant researchers are kind of underrepresented in the larger hospitality and tourism domain that we function in. Never mind culinary researchers, right? And right. I, I think um, it, uh, yeah, you, you just gave me a, a great platform to share, and hopefully. Um, it reaches the right people. And so I have mad respect for what you do, Dr. Javis. Well, thank so. you. Um, and, and, and likewise, I mean, reading your paper and hearing you, th th some of the interviews you're doing, I mean, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, I was telling my wife uh, yesterday, getting ready for this, I was like, he's doing stuff that I wish I was doing. Uh, so no, uh, total respect for, for the research that you're doing and the methods you're using. I look forward to uh, tracking your career and see the other stuff um that that you're doing so thank you so much for being uh on the show today taking the time i really do appreciate it for those of you that are listening thank you for listening and watching if you have comments or questions please email me at nathan at restaurantrelevance.com ciao